At ECRI, we've been helping ambulatory care providers prepare for pediatric emergencies that might occur in their offices. So we weren't surprised when we saw a recent Wall Street Journal article that highlighted some of the same problems and concerns uh, in adult emergency departments as we're seeing in other care settings as well. We're here with Jennifer Comerford, a risk and safety analyst at ECRI, to talk about some of those concerns and steps that any organization, as well as parents and other caregivers, can take to protect those pediatric patients. So, Jennifer, recently there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that talked about uh, some of the risks to children who find themselves in non-pediatric emergency departments. What were some of the high-level concerns? Yes, so there were many, Paul, uh, overall, parents and other grown-ups find themselves in a serious position oftentimes uh, bringing children to a non-pediatric ER and that's the majority of ERs or EDs across the country are not specialized for pediatric care. Uh, you know, children are not just tiny adults. Diagnosis and treatment is different and requires different equipment, medications and skills. And you know, what the Wall Street Journal investigated and really exposed was unfortunately long patterns of failures in diagnosis and treatment uh, that had really serious results. The scope unfortunately is significant. Uh, just earlier this year in JAMA Network Open, a study was published that identified 1,440 children who had died from 2012 to 2017 because the care they received in an emergency department was inadequate. Going back a little further, in 2019, a study published by the journal Pediatrics found that children are four times more likely to die in an inadequately equipped emergency department as opposed to an adequately equipped and prepared emergency department. So I mean, those, those are just two really scary statistics. Yeah. What are, what are some examples of some of those things that can go wrong? Uh, I mean, a child could be not diagnosed timely or diagnosed with the wrong, uh, wrong condition. So of course, anytime there's a delay or failure to diagnose, that is then lost treatment opportunity. Uh, in, in particular, meningitis and pneumonia are two absolutely potentially fatal and commonly misdiagnosed conditions in this population. So talking about maintaining a level of preparedness, mm -hmm. <coughs> if I'm an organization, I obviously want to take care of the kids who are mm -hmm. in my facility for whatever reason. What are some, some basic steps an organization can take to be prepared to recognize and respond to these emergencies? So a lot of this is basic risk management. Um, an organization wants to start with a hazard vulnerability assessment to really understand what are our gaps in preparedness to meet this need. Uh, when those gaps have been identified, you really want to see collaboration among executive and clinical leaders along with risk management and patient safety staff to make the plan to address the gaps in the now and just as importantly, sustain preparedness going forward. You know, that's one of those things about preparedness. It's never really finished. Mm. Uh, you know, so it's specific to our conversation today, we'd be looking to see an organization um, identify rapid screening tools and protocols for treating tiny patients. Uh, we'd be looking to 
know that they've made sure they have all of the physical supplies that they need. Um, and they are many for emergency preparedness. Uh, I'd say specific to the emergency department, the American Academy of Pediatrics publishes uh, something they call pediatric readiness in the emergency department. Mm -hmm. It is a publicly available piece of guidance that provides a long list of things for organizations to consider. Uh, really just a couple very quick examples would be pediatric sized resuscitation equipment, a pediatric crash cart, um, pediatric sized vas vascular access equipment, um, age appropriate pain assessment scales. Hmm. So that's a whole different thing. Yeah. That has nothing to do with size, but in terms of assessing for a, a potentially fatal condition, age appropriate ways to indicate this is the pain I'm in is huge. So would, would an example of that be, you know, in, in, an, in an older population, I might say, you know, give me a scale of one to 10, but in a, you know, an early elementary age child who maybe can't do that, I'm what, like looking at the, the faces that show mm -hmm. me frowny to smiley? Yes, exactly. Okay. It, 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 could be, it could be the faces scale okay. is a great example. Excellent. So that's sort of the organizational level. How about as caregivers? Um, you know, if we're in an emergency with a kid, we maybe don't have time to evaluate the preparedness of the right. ED that I'm going to take my kid to. That's what emergencies are, right? Exactly. So if, if I find myself as a caregiver with a kid in an ER, an adult ER, mm -hmm. what, are some, what are some steps I can take to protect everyone? That's, well, you know, I think there's a couple things that are just critical, and they are actually critical whether you are supporting a loved one who's very small or really at any point in the, um, the age continuum. It's critical to speak up. That can be challenging. It can be super intimidating to be in a healthcare setting. And you know, whoever's there as a support person is probably not feeling so relaxed or great themselves as they're watching their loved one ill, in pain, not knowing what's going on. Uh, but to simply be able to articulate something is not right here. They look worse, not better. This is not the way my kid usually looks. He's just not himself. Phrases like that really are sort of cardinal to the healthcare team. They should raise that index of suspicion that it might not be what it first appears to be. Or even if this child appears not in terrific distress, this adult who knows them so much better is saying, this is markedly different from what I'm accustomed to seeing. And then we need providers to hear that, right? <clears throat> and the adult might not be able to quantify, my kid is behaving differently, or my kid is reacting differently, but to know that that means something. Yes, yes, yeah. that, that, that that's meaningful and absolutely not to be dismissed. It's an important layer uh, amidst all of the objective evaluations that are going on. So, you know, Jennifer, we're both parents. We have sons mm -hmm. who are within a couple weeks of each Small other. Boys. Age, you know? <laughs> um, uh, not good. I haven't had to go to the ER yet, but not you know, good. Same. Small boys. We're going to end yes. up there eventually. Sooner or later. <laughs> um, should I be hesitating about that decision? No, no. Right. If 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 my son needs the ED, we're going to the ED. If I got that call from daycare uh, or from a grandparent, same. Send them. Take them. Uh, ab absolutely. We don't want to in any way discourage people from doing that. It's just a good opportunity, I think, to be a better educated patient and caregiver and feel really empowered to 
to speak up with any concerns that you have. That advocacy role. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Excellent. Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for watching ECRI Now. You can find more insights from the experts on YouTube and at ECRI.org. Until next time, I've been your host, Paul Anderson.